We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys as I'll break down Phil Steele's all-SEC teams, where Gamecocks landed, who was snubbed, who's in the right position. Also, Javon Kinlaw getting recognition from Phil Steele as he's named a preseason All-American. I'll talk about dumb things from Dabo Sweeney, Javon Kinlaw being an absolute monster, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with one of the best quarterbacks in school history, former Gamecocks quarterback Steve Tannehill. I talked to him about uh, going to South Carolina, his South Carolina career, his on-field antics, winning the first bowl game in Gamecocks history, and much, much more in that interview. It's all brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, the only one that I would go with and the only one that I would recommend. They've actually got a great ticket rating system where they rate the tickets for you based on what you're getting. You know what you're getting before you click the buy button. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal. You know if you're overpaying a little bit for your tickets. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything, whether you want to go to sporting events, uh, obviously during the summer right now, concerts, comedy club events, festivals, you name it, anything and everything you need your tickets to. Please be sure to go through SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-R-S-U-P. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, they're the only ticket buying app or ticket buying site I would recommend they do all the work for you beforehand so you know exactly what you're getting when you click the buy button so again that SeatGeek go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com use that promo code spurs up and save ten dollars off your first purchase all right let's get into it Chris Phillips, your host, as always, appreciate you guys tuning in to another edition of the Spurs Up Show. Um, we're getting into the offseason, if you will. I noticed when I was prepping for today's show, not a ton of stuff going on right now. We're starting to get almost kind of in the dead period, if you will. Obviously, we are technically, we've been in the offseason for a while, but there always seems to be some news coming up, something new happening, some things we have to talk about. This is the first show in a while where there really isn't a whole lot. And I think it's going to obviously get slow. Obviously, there's things going on recruiting and different camps and stuff like that. But not a ton of newsworthy stuff, but obviously still a bunch of stuff to talk about as well. Um, I want to start with Phil Steele. So his magazine is has been released early to some people. If you order it online, they've got it. I haven't gotten it yet. So there will be another podcast breaking down 
uh, Phil Steele's magazine, when, once I get it, breaking down what he thinks about the Gamecocks, where he has them finishing, things like that, kind of similar to what I did with the Athlon magazine, because I like getting in the magazines. It is magazine season, pretty much. Um, so I'll have another podcast breaking that down, but there were um, some different accolades, some things released, eight Gamecocks named to Phil Steele's all-SEC teams, and Javon Kinlaw named a preseason All-American by Phil Steele as well. Uh, so let's dive into that All-SEC team, those All-SEC selections. Obviously, defensive lineman Javon Kinlaw was first-team All-SEC. Um, you had wide receiver Brian Edwards, defensive lineman DJ Wanham, and linebacker TJ Brunson all make the second team. I think definitely good recognition for TJ Brunson, a guy who – you know, a weaker position group at South Carolina, the linebacker position, obviously we know the struggles that South Carolina's had, but T.J. Brunson definitely a shining light there. I think he's filled in the shoes of, of Sky more nicely, and he's going to need to be a guy that's going to play really, really good football while, again, South Carolina tries to continue building at linebacker. Um, Brian Edwards, the second team, and not really surprised at that either. I mean, obviously a guy stepping in the role of Devo Samuel, um, filling in his shoes. You know, I think it's going to be very important that Brian has a big-time year. Um, so I'm not surprised. I could even see him being a first team, but there are so many good wide receivers in the SEC. Would not be shocked if he finished the season second team All-SEC. Defensive lineman DJ Wanham as well. I think he's a first team All-SEC kind of guy. Um, I think the big thing for him, obviously, is just staying healthy. Can he stay healthy the entire season? I think that's going to be the thing everybody's watching. But definitely think he's a first team All-SEC type caliber player. I think in the limited action we saw last year, we saw that come out. Um, I kind of skipped over Javon Kinlaw. I was going to save him for the preseason All-American stuff, but – yeah, Javon Kinlaw, man, is the kind of guy that really has potential to have a monster, monster year for South Carolina this year. I mean, we've all seen the pictures, which <clears throat> I was going to get to in a little bit, the Javon Kinlaw, the photo of him flexing that's on our social media. Um, dude's massive. I, I think the big thing with Javon Kinlaw, again, it was smart that he came back to school, but I think the thing with Javon Kinlaw, he needs to be a little bit more consistent. Um, I think having a healthy group of defenders around him I think the guys that he's playing with on the defensive line having another year of experience under their belt because obviously South Carolina was playing a bunch of youngsters last year. I think it's only going to help him. I think teams were – obviously we know they were holding him because we, we saw the photos and we heard the comments from Javon Kinlaw. And you, you knew he was being held, but it just makes it a lot easier, obviously, when you have a better supporting cast. So I think Javon Kinlaw has that opportunity to be that dude. I mean, to be a true, true disruptor, a true playmaker, and a guy that really – I think could be a first-round NFL selection. I mean, you look at the body type. You look at the body build. I mean, what he's done, how he's transformed his body since he stepped on campus in Columbia is really just um, – it's crazy to see. I mean, he is a complete monster. There aren't many guys you see that are 300 pounds and have a six-pack. So, um, Javon Kinlaw definitely has that opportunity. This is where things get interesting because Phil Steele breaks down his all-SEC teams all the way to fourth teams. So, he had wide receiver Shai Smith, offensive lineman Donnell Stanley, defensive back J.C. Horn, and punter Joseph Charleston, all the fourth team. This is where it gets dicey for me because I'll tell you this. I think if South Carolina is going to have a big year, if they're going to have a better year than people are expecting, Shai Smith needs to be better than fourth team All-SEC. He needs to be a guy cracking that second team All-SEC, and I think he can be. I think he can fill in the shoes of what Debo Samuel did and be that type of playmaker. Now, he's obviously got to go out there and do it, but I think Shai Smith has that similar type of explosiveness, and I think the Gamecocks are going to need him to be that guy. Again, we all know Brian Edwards is the number one receiver, but I think Shai Smith could honestly be the number one playmaker-type threat, if you will, the home run threat, if you will. Um, I just think it's going to be really, really important for Shai Smith to have a big year. And I think fourth, fourth team is kind of low. Uh, offensive lineman Donnell Stanley, I'm not surprised at all to see him make at least one of the All-SEC teams, a guy that's really leading that offensive line. Obviously played center for South Carolina all last year, and you know, I thought did a really, really good job. 
So not surprised at all to see him in the fourth team or just see him in the All-SEC teams, period. Um, I know one of the ones everybody's really questioning. And, again, these lists really don't matter, but they're fun to talk about, man. We're, we're middle offseason. There really isn't much else going on. But defensive back J.C. Horn, fourth team All-SEC. I, I just – that one, I know there's a lot of good defensive backs in the SEC. I understand that. But that one confuses me a little bit. That, that, that one confuses me. I, I think J.C. Horn, you know – as good of a freshman season as he had, I think he's going to have a monster sophomore year. I mean, I think there's no doubt J.C. Horn is a three years and gone caliber player. Um, I don't know. I think fourth team all SEC is a snub for J.C. I think he's at worst second team. I do. I think he's at worst second team. Again, I think it's kind of a product of he didn't play on a great defense last year, and he should play in a much, much better one this year. I think, again, he'll have the opportunity. He's going to – you think about the team South Carolina's facing, the type of wide receivers they have. J.C. Horn is going to have the opportunity to show, you know, show the entire country what type of player he is, no doubt. Uh, but, yeah, I think fourth team is way too low for him. And then punter Joseph Charlton, fourth team all SEC. Kind of hard to judge and grade punters, if you will. I just think the fact that Joseph Charlton made an all-SEC team does speak to how good he was for South Carolina that, you know, last year. And, you know, you would expect him to be just as good for South Carolina again this year. So very, very exciting. Gamecocks have a guy that can really flip the field for him. And, I, you know, that, that does play a major, major role uh, in football. Special teams matters too, guy. Don't forget that. Um, <laughs> Javon Kinlaw, like I mentioned, named preseason All-American by Phil Steele, which I was – I'll be honest with you. I, I was a little surprised at it just because I think Javon Kinlaw – Listen, he's a really, really good player, but I think he's still got a lot to prove that he can do it on a week-in, week-out basis. I mean, it's awesome that he's getting the recognition, that Ken Law's getting the recognition, because he he can be that kind of player. So I think it's kind of a bold pick by Phil Steele. I really do. I mean, because there are a lot of good defensive tackles out there, and there are a lot of, a lot of other dudes that, you know, he simply just could have went with. So I'm kind of waiting to see on that. Like, if I was putting together a preseason All-American team, I wouldn't put Ken Law on it quite yet, because I just want to see him prove it. I want to see him do it. I I think no no question. It's a no-brainer he's an All-SEC guy. But uh, I was a little surprised to see Javon Kinlaw in a preseason All-American, to be honest. And, again, that's not questioning his ability. It's just, you know, putting it all together. You know, just really putting it all together and being that dude week in and week out. And again, I, I think an improved um, supporting cast, a healthy supporting cast around him is going to make a big difference as well. Um so something I just want to touch on really quickly that, you know, honestly, I probably wouldn't even talk about it really in depth at all if it wasn't the offseason, but there's literally just nothing going on. The uh, the Osama Bin Dabo comments. So unless you've been living under a rock, which I'm sure you're not, um, you're a South Carolina fan, you know about the comments Dabo Sweeney made. If you somehow, again, do not, I will tell you. So an interview ba- – or a, a, an article came out um, – on one of the Clemson websites, if you will, and it was an interview with Dabo Sweeney. Um, apparently, this, this interview was months back. He was talking to Coach K on his SiriusXM spot. Dabo Sweeney, it says, Sweeney was asked recently on SiriusXM the state if the state of Alabama was going to put up a wall to keep him out. This is directly from the article that I'm reading. So this is Dabo Sweeney's quote. Quote, I think it was all fun and games early on. It was all isn't that sweet and all that stuff. I don't know about walls, but I am kind of like Osama bin Dabo. Sweeney said with a laugh, I have to navigate my way through the caves and back channels to make my way through Alabama these days. They aren't as happy to see me, but it's all good. It's a good problem. The probably one of the most absurd things Dabo Sweeney has ever said, and this man has said a lot of dumb things. He's said a lot of dumb shit. We know that. Um, I, I just, it's like, 
I, I'm kind of laughing at it at this point. I, I a good friend of mine from uh, uh, through the Twitter sphere basically had the the tweet with the quote. When I first saw this, I really, honestly, 110 percent, guys, I thought it was a made up quote. I thought basically someone quote tweeted the article and was like, this is something he would say, but he, I didn't think it was an actual real quote. And then I clicked the article and saw the quote and I was dumbfounded. I was shocked. I was shocked. And this is one of the things I love college football, love college sports. Love. I mean, I wouldn't do what I do if I didn't love college sports and stuff like that and kind of the, uh, everything that comes with it. But one of the things I do hate about it is that, People are such big fans and such diehard fans. They, they are blinded by things. So, like, their, their fandom comes before everything. I mean, the fact that Clemson fans – I don't think I've talked to one or seen one Clemson fan say, hey, that was a stupid comment. Like, they just that, – that was probably not the best choice of words. It, all the defense of Dabo – and I, I said this on my social media, but if, you're, if your take on this is that – our generation soft or, you know, people nowadays are soft. If that's your response to people questioning Dabo Sweeney's comments, you are the worst type. You are the, the worst human being. You're the worst type of human being on earth. You have no brain cells. If that is your reaction. I mean, listen, I'm not saying suspend the guy, find the guy, like whatever. I'm not saying any of that, but like, it was a, it was just a stupid thing. Like, why would you say that? Like, what human's brain works like that to where you would make that type of comparison? Like, how does that make any sense? So, again, I wouldn't probably be talking about this or giving this really any, any attention if it wasn't the middle of the offseason, but the fact is it is. I'm curious to see what Dabo Sweeney is going to say. I mean, again, it just – I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole, like, you know, 9-11 thing, like, you, you know, but there are some things you joke about and there are some things you don't. And when you're Dabo Sweeney and you're a head football coach at a major, major university that's won national championships, you, you know everything you say is under scrutiny. Like literally everything you say. So to think you're going to say this comment and nobody's going to care or like, like nobody's going to be upset is insanity to me. Like I, I don't understand how you could say something so stupid. So it's just crazy, man. I mean, we could. I think this 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 podcast could have a segment every week. D- dumb shit that Dabo Sweeney said this week, and it would probably be one of the best segments, and probably be we'd have something to say. We'd have something to go through every week because he says something every single week. The guy's crazy. I don't know what it is, but yeah, Osama bin Dabo. I can tell you one thing: the college game day signs are going to be legendary because people are not gonna let this go away you think whatever you want but and they shouldn't because it's so stupid like I said if you're if you're which it's all the Clemson fans and like getting back to my point one of the things I hate about college athletics and college sports fans is they're they let their fandom blind them to where they they will defend you through anything which I guess if you're on the side of it where you want the defense it's okay it's good I guess and if if you see it that way but it just makes people look so, so stupid to try to defend Dabo Sweeney, him saying that. Like, at least admit that was a weird thing to say. Like, that just probably shouldn't have said that. I mean, it just it's so awkward. It's so weird. And Dabo Sweeney's a fool, man. He's a, he's a clown. He's a clown. There's no other way to put it. He's a clown. Um, okay, get off my soapbox there. Uh, let's go ahead and get some listener questions. Again, not a ton on this week's show. Like I said, guys, we're getting – 
We're hitting peak offseason. I promise you there's going to be some fun offseason content that I want to get the fans involved with as well because I think there's some fun things. Obviously, list season, people ranking different things. I think we could really have some fun with that. So stay tuned uh, for the upcoming shows for stuff like that. Let's go ahead and get to some listener questions because there are a lot of good ones. Um, Capped underscore way, are there any rumors on Tavian Feaster? Obviously, Feaster on campus today or if you're listening this Friday, yesterday. Uh, but on campus, Will Muschamp speaking with him. He was at Williams-Brice Stadium. I think right now, gun to head, I would say that the Gamecocks get Tavian Feaster. Um, you know, I've heard things from different people to say as much they thought he was a silent commit. Um, I don't know about all of that, but I think the Gamecocks are in good standing, and there really aren't any new rumors, if you will. But uh, I think South Carolina, I think they're going to get him. I really do, and I think it'll be a game changer to have Tavian Feaster in the backfield. Um, Tristan Wheeler 5 odds on getting Reggie Grimes. I mean, I'd put South Carolina – 40% chance. I'd say 40% chance to get Reggie Grimes. I still think he goes to Alabama, but, I, you know, de- decent shot. You got a decent shot there. Um, ben Smitty, 2017. Will the running backs be more productive in 2019? Uh, they have to be. They, they absolutely have to be. I mean, there's no other way around it. The Gamecocks running backs have to be more productive for South Carolina to have the type of season they want. I mean, I, I said the biggest priority this offseason was the Gamecocks needed to find a number one running back. Um, I think, again, going back to the question earlier, that Tavian Feaster thing will answer that for South Carolina and give them their most legitimate back since Mike Davis. Um, they really need to get him. Um, the, I just think it comes to a point where you see the guys like Rico. You know, and I know Rico Dowdle's been hampered by injury, but Rico Dowdle, Mon Denson, you know, Tyson's not even there anymore. A.J. Turner's playing offense and defense. I mean, those guys at some point, they are who they are. I, I mean, I hate to say it like that, and I, I – I want to be optimistic about Rico Dowdle because what he did his freshman year and how good he was during his freshman year. But at some point, those guys, they just are who they are. I mean, and I think uh, a shot in the arm, Tavian Feaster would be a shot in the arm for the running game. So I'm going to say yes if they get Tavian Feaster for sure. Um, ben Smitty, 2017, do you think Brian Edwards breaks all of the receiving records? I hope so because it means that our offense is having a fantastic year. Um, so I, I think he does because I, I think Jake Bentley is going to set some records. I mean, I, listen, I think – I don't know how many games – I'm not dropping my predictions quite yet, but I don't know, you know, 100% how many games South kind of will win. But, I mean, unless injury happens, which, knock on wood, it doesn't. I mean, I think Jake Bentley's going to have a good season. I think he's going to have a good statistical season. I think Brian Edwards is certainly going to get his yards and get his numbers. And, yeah, I think he will. I think he'll definitely break some records without a doubt. Um, ben Smitty, 2017. Again, a lot of questions, Ben. I appreciate you. Uh, will our recruits stay committed if we have a terrible season? Um, I, I think so. I, I mean, obviously, I mean, the worse you do, the harder it gets. I mean, other teams are going to negatively recruit against you using that. But, I mean, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I, I it's different in recruiting. Like, guys, when you recruit guys, they really don't care about on-field product, if that makes sense. I know that sounds crazy. And, I mean, listen, it is, it is much – it is much, much easier to recruit to a place when, hey, you're winning national titles and you're saying, selling that to people. But, I mean, the guys that you're recruiting, they come to school for a lot of different reasons. Like, a lot of them don't care what the record is. I mean, South Carolina recruited guys in 2015 somehow. I mean, they, they were, you know, Will Muschamp was able to ma- you know, hold on and maintain a lot of those guys when he first got hired. So, I mean, um, I think they'll stay on. But a lot of guys recruit or, uh, commit and go to schools for different reasons, whether it's playing time, whether it's uh, – close to home whether it's just the culture they like the coaches like it's it has a lot less to do with on-field performance and I think fans really know or think I, I it really just I mean a lot of guys there 
there aren't many guys. I mean, listen, if you're a recruit and you're saying to yourself, well, if they go, if they go five and seven, I'm not going there. It's like that, that doesn't make any sense. Like you go somewhere where you're comfortable, where you feel comfortable in the environment, you like the coaches a lot, you believe in what they're building, you believe in what they're telling you. I, it really comes down to that. I, I mean, the more you can win on the field, I think that just shows progress and it gives you more ground to stand on is that, hey, we're building this thing up. We just need you. You're the last piece. It obviously helps, but that's – if South Carolina were to have a terrible year, if they go four and eight, three and nine even, I mean, you're not going to lose a bunch of recruits because of that, and I don't think that's going to happen either way. Um, ben, again, do you think Jake would be benched in favor of Joyner or Ryan if he struggles? That, that's one of the huge questions of this season. Very, very interested to see what the leash is like for Jake Bentley because obviously Jake, a guy that we know the struggles, I mean, we – it just, to me, I'll be very interested to see if Jake has a stretch like he had last year where he played the way he did against Kentucky, um, you know, even first half against Texas A&M. I, will, I just wonder if the trigger will be quicker because you have guys that are so capable behind him now, and that's no knock on our friend Michael Skarnecchia because obviously he came in and beat Missouri himself, and you could certainly argue that was the best win of the 2018 season, but uh, – you know, Michael Skarnecchia was a senior backup for a reason, I guess you could say. I mean, there, there obviously had to be a reason he was a senior backup. He did not have the type of the type of raw talent or the type of hype even that a guy like a Ryan Holinsky has had. Or, the type, or he didn't have the dynamic playmaking ability to, that a guy like the carry-on joiner has had. So, I mean, obviously South Carolina is going to, I think, do or die. I mean, Jake Bentley would have to be playing miserable for them to make a change. But I am curious just to see, you know, what their what their what their leash is like because the thing with Jake Bentley is it's almost like he hasn't I mean he has his reputation is he's going to hit some sort of rough patch like there's no doubt he is going to hit a rough patch this season like I hate to say that I hope I'm wrong but that's what his career has shown us that he's going to get cold and when he does I mean again South Carolina there are going to be a lot of fans calling for Ryan Helensky if that happens so I'll be very, very interested to see just how quick they pull the trigger if they do throw in Ryan, if they throw in to carry on Joyner. Um, should be very, very interesting. Um, Sean underscore of underscore the underscore dead. Who do you think will be the next SEC head coach to get fired? That's a really, really good question. I'm glad you asked this. Um, the one guy that I'm shocked still has a job is Gus Malzahn. I just – I don't know how he still has a job at Auburn. I think they have a chance to have a decent year. But, I mean, I would probably say Gus would be the next one. Um, I mean, you think about in the East, Mullen is safe. Um, Kirby Smart is safe. Will Muschamp is safe. Jeremy Pruitt is safe. I think Derek Mason could go, but I don't know why Vanderbilt would let him go. They beat Tennessee three years in a row. I think Derek Mason's probably safe. Mark Stoops is definitely safe. Uh, obviously, Nick Saban, no doubt. Um, Joe Moorhead, I mean, it's his second year. He's safe. Uh, Matt, maybe Matt Luke. I mean, I, I, it's kind of a weird situation in Oxford. I know they're going to be terrible, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they'll fire him either. Um, who am I? Who am I forgetting here? Oh, Ed Orgeron, he's definitely safe. Um, Chad Morris at Arkansas, he's safe. So I think Malzahn's probably my most likely one. I, I, I got to be honest. I think it's Gus Malzahn. Um, yeah, I think he's definitely the next one fired. I just, I think it's most likely that, uh, he is fired. Cause I mean, he could go eight and four and they're going to let him go. I, I just think the expectations are so high at Auburn and the more Alabama wins and the less Auburn wins is just going to make his seat even hotter. I mean, it's gotta, gotta be so tough. Um, soccer underscore God underscore 12 underscore. 
who is going to be the best player this year? And I'm assuming you're talking about the football team who's going to be the best overall player. I'll tell you this, who the team MVP is going to be. Because I think there's a difference between who's just the best player, like who's the best football player, and who's the most valuable player. It's tough. I think the most valuable player for South Carolina, hmm, let's see, just on the spot here. I, I think it's going to be – it hasn't – I mean, you have – Jake Bentley has the opportunity to be the MVP, depending on the season. I mean, Jake Bentley, again, I've talked about this before. Jake Bentley can really – you know, he's probably going to leave with every passing record there is, but he can really leave a mark on his career as far as being a legend. If he can pull off an upset over Clemson, maybe over Bama, one of the big three, or if they, he can lead South Carolina to an eight and four, nine and three type year, uh, he'll be a legend. I, I really do believe it will rewrite Jake Bentley's career, if you will, in the minds of Gamecock fans. Um, I, I don't know that. I, I'd probably say I, I think most valuable player at the end of this season. Um, I think it could be Shy Smith on offense. I'd say Shy Smith on offense, um, and then defensively, you got to go with you got to go with either Javon Kinlaw or J.C. Horn. I just think it's going to be one of those two guys. So South Carolina's got a lot of good football players, a lot of talent. I mean, I think the best overall football player on the team um, it might be Brian Edwards. I mean, I, I don't know. It just depends on the position. It's hard to say like overall because they all play different positions, right? So I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure who will be the best football player. Um, but yeah, I think MVP will be Shy Smith. That, that's my dark horse, at least on offense. Shy Smith and then defense, either Ken Law or JC Horn. Take your pick there. I think those guys are going to have fantastic seasons for South Carolina. They're going to need to for sure. Um, okay, so this interview with Steve Tannehill, I am so so pumped because Steve, awesome awesome dude. Um, had a great interview with him. Talked a ton of different stuff. Um, it, it's definitely an all timer. It's going to be. One, it's definitely one of the best interviews. Um. One of the best guest spots I've ever had on the Spurs Up show, no doubt. I, I know you're going to enjoy it. Again, it's brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only one I use. Um, please be sure to go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. Again, I know there's not a lot going on. I know South Carolina Gamecocks tickets are already on SeatGeek. I know because I saw the Belt Bowl tickets on there as well. So if you're already going to go ahead and buy your South Carolina Gamecocks football tickets, if you're going to any concerts, comedy club events, festivals this summer, literally anything and everything you need tickets to, use our friends over at SeatGeek. They make it super easy, super simple. They break it down for you so you know exactly what you're getting before you click the buy button. They actually rate the tickets for you based on a ticket rating system so you know if you're overpaying a little bit, if you're getting a really good deal, if you're getting a steal, if you will. It helps you out in that regard, which is huge because you, I mean, everybody wants a deal, right? Everybody wants to save money. I mean, that's what it's all about. Why not save some money if you're going to the game? So, um, SeatGeek is the place to do it. Anything and everything you need your tickets to. So, again, please go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks quarterback Steve Tannehill. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played quarterback for the Gamecocks from 1992 to 1995. He ranks second all-time in passing yards with 8,782 total yards and ranks number one overall in passing touchdowns with 61. He also led the Gamecocks to their first-ever bowl victory in 1995, securing the CarQuest Bowl over West Virginia. I'm very, very pleased to have on the show one of the best Gamecocks quarterbacks in South Carolina history, Steve Tannehill. Steve, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. 
I appreciate you having me, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's kind of go back to the beginning with you, Steve. Obviously a standout, you know, player, standout recruit in high school. You choose to go to South Carolina, get there in 1992. Um, just kind of talk about the recruitment process for you. What was that like? Was it always South Carolina for you, or what was there a decision you had to make? I came down to South Carolina and Alabama, and uh, Jay Barker was a freshman starter at Alabama. So um, it came down. Rich Bisaccia was my recruiter, and uh, Coach Bisaccia now coaches for the Raiders. Um, but uh, just got along great with him. Talked to him every Wednesday night uh, at 10:30 p.m. for two years. <laughs> so uh, you get to know somebody, and and uh, I just thought the opportunity to play fast and, and be be able to get on the field uh, was at South Carolina, and uh, you know. Alabama was about 19 hours away from home and South Carolina was 10 and, and my parents um, don't like to fly. So, you know, just it, it, there was a few factors in, but probably, you know, besides, you know, coach, coach Bisach and, and recruiting and the travel for my parents, the, the opportunity to play, I knew was going to be sooner. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's even like today, I don't understand why these quarterbacks, all these, big recruits all go to the same school you got to sit there and wait and I, I just uh I, I didn't think I could sit and wait no doubt so you get to South Carolina in 1992 again your uh your head coach was Sparky Woods and I know you went through a coaching change which I'll get which I'll get to in just a little bit but talk about first off just kind of your relationship with Sparky Woods what was that like <clears throat> well Sp coach Woods that wasn't really a position coach you know so um, Art Wilkins was our quarterback coach and, and coordinator my first year. And, and uh, you know, obviously Coach Besach was our running back coach and he recruited me. So, you know, you unless, you're, unless your head coach is a coordinator or going to favor one side or the other, you, you just don't, you know, you don't have a lot of interactions with them. So Coach Woods and I, uh, you know, just really didn't have a lot of interactions. Obviously, uh, when, he, when he finally decided to start me in week six and, and from then on out, you know, a relationship did grow. But he, you know, he didn't coach a position. And, and uh, you know, it's – you just don't you, – you get a lot closer to your coordinators and, and uh, you know, your position coaches. No doubt. So, like you said, that 92 season was very, very interesting. You guys start the year 0-5. Obviously, you're on the bench. You're not the starter yet. And, uh, you know, the Gamecocks, Sparky Woods, all those guys decide to turn the – you know, turn to you. And you, all you do is lead South Carolina to a 5-1 and one overall record. Obviously, the punctuation mark being the end-of-the-year rivalry with Clemson, beating those guys 24-13 to 13 at their place. Just kind of talk about, though, you know, you get to South Carolina as a true freshman. I know, like you said, you wanted to go somewhere where you could play immediately. Um, just kind of talk about going through that losing streak, being the backup guy. And um, did you, did you kind of sense you had your opportunity coming, if you will? Well, I got to play a little bit in, uh, you know, played like three plays against Georgia and we lost. And, and uh, you know, we had the little revolt or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, then I finally got the opportunity, you know, to play um, I start against Mississippi State. But the week before against Alabama, I really played pretty much the whole game. And, and uh, we got beat, which Alabama won a national championship that year. But, I you know, I played pretty good. And, and uh, we had a week off. And, um you know, they informed me that, you know, I was going to start that Mississippi State game. And, and uh, you know, I had never – I'd never been a backup. And so, you know, there's a big difference between the starter and the backup. And, uh, you know, I think my personality was more for the starter. And, and uh, you know, it was a, it was an unbelievable six weeks. Man, we, we really should have beat Florida in the swamp. Um, you know, obviously beating Clemson was big. But, 
you know, that first game, Mississippi State was ranked 15th in the country, and and uh, we beat them. And, and uh, it, it, it really just – our defense was so good, and I've said this, you know, since, since 1992 – you know, a lot of people give me the credit, but our defense was really good that year. And, uh, you know, when I – once I started to play, I think we only averaged like 20 points a game and, and went 5-1. and one. So, um, but this this the confidence of the team grew week by week. And, man, that, that was uh, that was an unbelievable six weeks. And it ended up being a whole year because how we finished and beating those SEC teams, and it was our first year in the SEC, man, it created such momentum in, in Columbia. It was uh, It was a fun time. For sure, yeah. No, I think you definitely obviously brought the optimism again, finishing 5-1, and one, going out on a high note. You mentioned the first year being in the SEC, and that's definitely something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I guess in your recruitment as well, but was that ever kind of something that swayed you to South Carolina? You know, obviously you played quarterback on the first team that, you know, was in the SEC, the first year that South Carolina right. was in the SEC. Was that a selling point to you to play in the SEC? I, you know, I don't know that it was the seller, but the SEC at that time, you know, you really had, you know, the Big 12 and the Big 10. And I grew up, you know, 30 minutes from Penn State. So I was in Big 10 territory. And, and uh, so actually, you know, it, it's just different back in those days. Um, but the lore of the SEC, and, and it has grown. I, I think as, as each year since 92, and they've added a few teams, uh, what it's turned out to is, is unbelievable. I mean, the SEC is is the marquee conference. Um, you can look at it. You know, I know Clemson's um, won a couple national championships, but the SEC and how many players leave the SEC every year and play on Sundays, I mean, it's it's the marquee conference, and it was then. I mean, um, every team was big. Every team was fast, and, and uh, you know, every week was a challenge. I mean, I played against some really good players and, and especially some really good defensive linemen that, you know, it takes a while to get used to that. You know, in high school, being 6'4", in high school, I'm about the biggest guy in the field. Um, you get in that huddle and your linemen are all 6'6", six, six and, and you feel like a small guy. So um, the adjustment to that league is, is is unbelievable. And we didn't have the opportunity back in those days to get in there in January. You know, no one did that. Um, that would have made a big difference. You know, I probably could have got on the field maybe week one instead of week six if I'd had that opportunity to get there and go through spring practice and, and those things. So um, the game of football has really evolved and, and uh, these kids getting in in January, and that's why you see so many young guys playing. I mean, they're getting a half a year under their belt and getting used to the guys in the weight room and the school part of it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's the way to go if you can do it. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree with you. That's a massive change for college football. But going back to that 1992 season, like you mentioned, there were some definitely some big wins. I mean, you again, your first game starting, beat number 15, Mississippi State. You guys beat number 16, Tennessee, uh, on really memorable game, obviously, the stop two-point conversion, which I know was a huge win for you guys because when you look at the history of South Carolina football, and you know, it's obviously improved lately, but especially at that time, South Carolina hadn't beaten Tennessee all that much. So to get that win especially, and again, like you said, make a splash the first year in the SEC, I think, was huge. For you specifically, Steve, you know, your freshman season, you went 86 for 162, 53% completion percentage, uh, threw for almost 13,000 yards, seven touchdowns, six interceptions. How, how do you feel like your game translated from high school to college? Because I know for every athlete going from high school to college sports, especially when it's SEC, you know, you have some freshman growing pains to go through. Oh, that's no question. Um, you know, the game just moves so much faster. Uh, and uh, the, the system that was in place there for us is I had to do a lot of um, 
calling out the defense in fronts. And back in those days, there was a lot of 50 fronts and 30 fronts, and and that was tough. And I, and I had Kenny Farrell, who's now the principal at, at uh, Somerville High School, but and his son's a, a, a rising player for us at, at uh, also plays center in South Carolina. But Kenny helped me a lot where he would actually do a lot of the calling the defense and take that off, you know, off of me so I could, um, you know, really look at the secondary and all that. But our running game was so good that year. Again, I didn't have to do a lot, um, but just, you know, the capability to throw the ball down the field and get the, get the ball in those guys' hands. Um, but I mean, I had Brandon Bennett and Rob DeBoer, uh, is my running backs. And, and, uh, we, we, we really could do a lot of things on offense because we were talented across there. And, and, uh, you know, Ernest Dye, who ended up being like 12th pick in the draft, was our left tackle, didn't give up a sack all year. Um, Corey Lucci was the right tackle and he was a junior and the next year he got drafted in the third round. So we had a lot of talent. Um, we just, uh, I, I guess they just needed somebody that would take some chances. And I, and I, I was a freshman having the time of my life, man. I, I was, I was going to take chances. And then the defense was there to, um, you know, if you made a mistake and you threw an interception or you, you made a few bad plays, our defense uh, was so good that they bailed you out. And, and uh, like I said, man, it was, it was a great year. Um, but again, a lot of the credit needs to go to that defense because they, they, they were our strength. For sure. So let's talk a little bit about obviously the, uh, you know, you're not a guy that's from the state of South Carolina again. Um, and I've talked to a lot of different guys that, you know, just kind of when it clicks for them, how big the South Carolina Clemson game is. Cause I know you obviously know now that's, you know, game. some people say South Carolina could go one and 11 as long as they Clemson a good year. Uh, just kind of talk about, because, you know, you're a guy again, that has some of the most, I, I would say some of the best memories from that rivalry. Just kind of talk about when it clicked for you how big of a rivalry that was. Well, you know, we had a lot of guys from the state. So that, that whole week leading up to that game, me as the out-of-stater, and I grew up, you know, the Penn State-Notre Dame rivalry or the Pitt-Penn State rivalry, and, and which is big up there. Um, so I knew about the, you know, rivalries. But, you know, every day, uh, and we had a lot of guys on our team that had teammate, high school teammates at Clemson. And so – um, it was so important to those guys. And I, I think when we got up to Clemson on that Friday, um, it kind of it kind of clicked to me on that Friday how big of a game it was. And and we had been playing well, you know. So um, there was a lot of, uh, I guess, from the Gamecock faithful and the Gamecock fans, they really thought we could go win. Um, and so there was a lot of hoopla around that, you know, that game for us. And and uh, it turned out to be, you know, a great win. And, again, <laughs> Brandon Bennett, um, you know, really had a great game. And our defense played so well. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, our, our fans charged the field. And, you know, it was um, – you, you learn a little bit at that point, um, you know, how big it is. And then <laughs> it just grows. Um, you know, and two years later we won – you know, we won at Clemson that got us into the bowl game. You know, it was the game we had to win just to get into the bowl game. So – um, you know, a lot of fun memories up there. I, I didn't play very well against Clemson when we played them at um, Williams Bryce, but I uh, played pretty good the two times up there and, and uh, you know, a lot of good memories. Yeah, let's talk about that 92 game at Clemson, Steve, because that, that's one that, you know, I guess you could say your, your, your play definitely stood out. The on-field antics stood out as well. I mean, I'm thinking specifically <laughs> the play you roll out, uh, which it's a great play as well. Ship me undersold. You hit uh, – 
I forget the wide receiver's name. Hit the wide receiver. Same penny, that same penny in the corner over there. Yeah, yeah, it was great throw, great catch. I mean, really a great play. But you you go on to do the uh, the baseball swing, which is something that you know Gamecock fans obviously love. Just kind of talk about that play in general, and then that that rush of emotion afterwards. Well, you know what's crazy about that play? It was third and goal, like from the fifteen. Um, we had that ball inside the, you know, inside the ten, and 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 end up going backwards. So. Uh, it might even have been, yeah, it was either third or fourth down. I think it was third down, but uh, you know, you got to take a chance. And once the pocket collapsed a little bit and I got outside, I mean, there a scene was six, four, um, you know, big, big time recruit and had a really good year that year for us. Um, and you just take a chance, you know, you give the guy the opportunity to make the play and, and he made the play. Um, I, I threw it to a spot. He was the only one that could get it, but you know, he had to stay in bounds, get that ball. He actually touched the pylon and, and, uh, you know, uh, from there it was, you know, celebration time. For sure. I also want to talk about, you know, one of the most iconic images of the South Carolina <laughs> rivalry really on either side is the picture of you standing at midfield, signing the Tiger Paul. Um, I guess first off, you know, obviously you don't know someone's taking a picture of you, but I mean, could you ever imagined that that picture would have been like as monumental, I guess, as you could call it, as it is today? Um, and just kind of talk about, again, your freshman season, you're at Clemson, you get that <laughs> win, and I, I just can imagine the the rush of emotion after the game, what that must have felt like. You see, on that play, I believe, and, and again, you know, I think it was that play. Brandon Bennett had a long run, um, and, and we were really just trying to run out the clock, um, and Brandon had a long run. I knelt down on the tiger paw and just, you know, pretended to screw my name, and, and I think a few plays later, Brandon broke off another good run and, and you know I turned to the crowd and um, you know you don't think about it again I, I was you know 18 years old or 19 years old and um, you know you just don't you don't know at that point um, you know what how how the longevity of that picture and, and uh, it's really about the only picture I have uh, my parents have one and, and uh, um, but it is it's, it has lasted a long time it's, it's one of the you know obviously my favorite pictures. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to be going away anytime soon, just my guess. <laughs> um, let's move into 1993 because 1993 was a very, very interesting year. Again, you guys are led by Sparky Woods, but what would be uh, what would be his last season at South Carolina? Um, kind of a rough year for you guys. You guys go – well, similar to last year, though, go five and six, three and five. But I know with all the momentum you guys had at the end of 92, I know you guys were shooting for a lot more. And then you specifically, statistically, um, threw for just under 2,000 yards, but six touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Just talk about 93 specifically for you, kind of what was the story behind that season? Well, I think we got we got caught up in, you know, a lot of overconfidence all, all around. I don't think we worked that hard in the offseason. Um, in 1993, we were winning going into the fourth quarter, eight games, um, you know, and, and, and ended up four and seven. So, um, I particularly didn't play that well. I, I had gained, you know, I had <clears throat> I had gained a little too much weight, and um, you know, we 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 didn't we didn't have the maturity, I guess, at that point in time to to realize that we weren't as good as we thought. But I, like I said, eight games we're leading going into the fourth quarter, and that's one of the things that when Coach Scott came is one of the first things he said to all of us in that meeting room was we were all too heavy. And, and I mean, he didn't use those exact words, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, uh, he brought in a strength coach, Dennis Tripp and, and, um, and we, it changed. Um, you know, we were in so much better shape that next year. Um, but I, 
and that when I was coaching, that was one of the things that I always believed in because of that 93 year was to have your team in shape. You, you can be really good and have good players, but if your players can't play into the fourth quarter, um, and, you know, you can lose games that you shouldn't. And uh, um, it was a great learning experience. You know, uh, obviously I would change it if we could go back and win some more games. And we started out that year, we beat Georgia at Georgia, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the last play of the game. And, and Brandon goes over the top. We had a two-minute drive to get us down there. So that that win was probably the worst thing that could happen to us because we, we really got the big head coming off the year that we had in 92 and a lot of the same guys on the team. And uh, – you know, it just didn't work out that well. And, and uh, you know, they let Sparky go. And, and uh, you know, for me, um, Ricky Bussell came in as a quarterback coach. And, and uh, I really learned the game of football um, from a different level. He came from Virginia Tech. And along with Coach Scott, was coming from Florida State. So, for me, it was beneficial because we really, at that point, in 94, 95, got into the system that benefited me the most, which was being in the shotgun. Um, you know, I'm not the fastest guy, I never was, but it helped me see the field. And, and uh, you know, so 93, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the greatest year, but uh, it, it uh, was definitely a big learning experience for me as a player and, and later, uh, you know, helped me be successful as a high school coach. For sure. I want to go back to that, uh, the game you talked about at Georgia to start the 93 season. Because, again, like you said, monumental win. I mean, Georgia was ranked 14th at the time. And, again, this is an opponent where – South Carolina hasn't had the greatest history against. Anytime you beat Georgia is a huge win, especially, I mean, it was at Georgia between the hedges, a massive win. Obviously, you mentioned Brandon over the top. Uh, Brandon Bennett, the fantastic running back, probably one of the best in school history. But just kind of talk about, again, you talked about the two-minute drive. I mean, everybody's heard the famous Larry Munson call, lay down, you guys, lay down. Just kind of talk about that game and that two-minute drive. And then you see, you see Brandon go over the top with, I guess, two seconds left. and That had to be crazy. Well, you know, it was the hottest game I'd ever played, the hottest football game I'd ever played in. Um, and again, that's in the, you know, the early nineties before the Under Armour and, and before all this, these things to help with the heat. Um, you know, I remember at halftime going in and they, you know, us, <laughs> us standing under showers, um, you know, taking our pads off, taking our pants off, standing under showers, just to cool down. It was so hot. Um, and we made that drive at the end of the game and, and uh, threw a lot of passes to Boomer Foster, I think, and Matt Campbell tight ends. And, and uh, we got it down there and, and we, we called timeout or they called timeout. I think it was us and it was it, 14 seconds to go. Um, you know, so we go out there and, then, you know, we're going we, – we did a lot in 92 and 93, uh, Brandon Bennett over the top. Brandon was such a great athlete and, and uh, that was the plan. And I turned the wrong way. <laughs> and so when I turned the wrong way, um, it messed up the timing and Brandon didn't really get off the ground. And, uh, you know, I hustled and, and we got everybody up. You know, Georgia um, probably should have laid just like, you know, Larry Munson said, they should have just kind of got up slow. But our offensive line, and we had all linemen in there, um, tight ends and linemen and, and then just the, the running backs. Um, so we, we got everybody up quick. And we snapped that ball, I think, with about six seconds. And, and uh, I turned the correct way. And, and uh, you know, Brennan really got stopped kind of halfway up in the air. And he, he does like a 360 off somebody and gets in. And, um, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the most fun wins, you know, in my career for sure because of where it was. You know, 
a two-minute drive to win the game, and and uh, you went on the last seconds, and man, that that was fun. But that was again, like I said, I think it had, that was a little bit of our downfall. We we left that, you know, we left Stanford Stadium thinking we were, you know, <laughs> the greatest thing, and and uh, you know, we got lazy. No doubt. So again, that '93 season, it, it's kind of funny. Again, you know, Sparky Woods is let go. Um, Brad Scott is hired. I know you talked about you didn't really have a relationship with Sparky Woods. Kind of talk about your first interactions with coach Scott and what your relationship was like with him. Well, I, I don't, I, I think it took about in, into the season, about three or four games. till coach Scott really learned, you know, the, the competitive spirit um, that I had, I wasn't the greatest practice player. Um, practice to me, wasn't that exciting. I mean, I just, I wanted to go have fun and, and practice isn't fun. And uh, you know, we, we worked so hard and then, and, um, you know, you, myself and Coach Scott developed a great relationship. Um, and, and, again, Coach Bustle was my, my quarterback coach, and he was a great guy. And, and, uh, and it, it turned out to be, you know, Coach Scott and I are still friends to this day. I mean, Jeff Scott's a coach at Clemson, and um, he was our little ball boy back then. And, and uh, it's just a relationship that's, you know, that's still there because, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for Coach Scott. And, and he, he taught me a lot about the, the passing game. Um, that he brought from Florida State, and and uh, you know it really helped. Um, if you look back, the stats that that we had as an offense in '94 and '95 are, are at that time unbelievable. Um, you know now, now it's they're not the greatest stats in the world because they, these teams are really throwing it around. But we were one of the first teams to you know get in being a shotgun every snap, um, and uh, we had some great players. I mean, I had Stanley Pritchett in the backfield. And, and, um, you know, Deuce Staley one year, and, and those guys played a long time in NFL. And, you know, I had Zola Davis as my one of the wideouts. And Toby K. these guys were really good football players. And, and, uh, and that, that was fun on offense. We, we didn't have enough depth on defense to, to hang in there. But, uh, um, you know, we put up some great numbers and, and uh, you know, had a lot of fun as an offensive unit those two years. For sure. So, again, you know, I mentioned the 94 season, you leading South Carolina to its first ever bowl win against West Virginia in the CarQuest Bowl. Um, that season also very memorable. You guys pounded Clemson 33-7 to at Clemson again. Um, I guess I'll ask you, I mean, it's kind of funny when you look at the years you were there, Steve, because it was very back and forth, but you guys get them in Clemson, can't get them in Columbia. I mean, was there – I'm sure there wasn't a different type of mentality or anything, but I mean, can you explain why the great success on the road, but not uh, not at home against those guys? Well, I'm, I'm in, in 1995 at home. You know, we they were better than us. We we couldn't stop anybody that year. We we had a tough time. Had a lot of injuries on defense. Had a lot of youth. And we we just couldn't stop anybody. Um, our 94 team was pretty good on defense. Um, you know, we held Clemson to seven points at home and, and uh, you know, even the West Virginia game, our defense, you know, in the bowl game played great. So, um, you know, even as an offensive guy, uh, you know, you really – the defense is, it is what separates the really, really good teams from, you know, just the average football team. And, you know, just in 95, we, we just didn't quite have the defense that, that could hang in there. And Clemson came in and, and ran the ball and pounded us. And, um, there was no, you know, we, you know, I had a pretty good game at, on offense, but um, we, we just couldn't stop them. And, and that was real. My whole senior year was kind of like that. You know, we put up great numbers and we just didn't have the defense to, to, to hang in there. 
Talk about that 94 win over Clemson, walking out of there again, a winner. I, again, I, I, I think there's, you know, as a competitor, I think there's something fun about, you know, it's always fun to win at home in front of your fans, but I think going into somebody's backyard and stealing a win from them, and especially, the, I mean, the 94 game winning 33-7, to I know that had to be a really satisfying feeling to walk out of there, uh, you know, beating those guys again. Oh, yeah. And then, again, that, that got us in the bowl game. We knew going up there that, you know, we had one shot at, at making a bowl game and, and um, you know, we had to win. And, and so there was a lot of pressure on us to, to get that win. And, um, you know, another fun day. We, 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 uh, um, we, we really played well on both sides of the ball. We had the, you know, the big trick play throwback after halftime that really, um, you know, uh, on that second half kickoff that really got us. Um, and put the game away right then. We, you know, the next play we hit, we flip it to Brandon and he scores and and uh, you know that's it. And and uh, but our defense played great and it is fun to win there. And definitely for the guys on the team from from the state and and for the fans. You know, to go there and win is is uh, you know a big big deal. And and uh, it was that day for sure. Steve, talk about the '95 Carquest Bowl again. It, monumental. I mean, you lead South Carolina their first ever bowl win uh, again, beating West Virginia 24-21. One of my favorite highlights to watch, Steve, is the play where you you run into the end zone and the commentator says, "Watch him celebrate now." Obviously, you guys went crazy. You took your helmet off, but just kind of talk about that play and then bringing South Carolina its first bowl victory. Just to, uh, what that means to you. Well, what what I had I had you know we got to go home there for a couple of days at Christmas and. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a big deal for us to, to be in that bowl game. And, and I told everybody at home I was going to run one in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the play broke down. We had a great play called and, and, and West Virginia blitzed. And, and uh, you know, I, I got lucky and got out of trouble and, and uh, you know, just dove in. It, it was, uh, you know, obviously, a, you know, a big play. And, you know, helped me, you know, be the MVP of that game and helped our team win. But our defense was lights out that day again. And, and uh and Brandon too. I mean, we really um, just had a, you know, just had a great game plan and, and uh, really played well. And, and um, you know, a big win for the state. And and they've gone on to win some more bowl games and, and win bigger bowl games. Um, but um, you know, we were the team that that won that first one. And, and uh, you know, I think every guy on that team is is pretty proud of that. Yeah, and I think they definitely should be. I know that holds a special place for Gamecock fans. Uh, that 94 season, you know, I mentioned, you know, you talked about, Steve, your guy, you like to have fun. I think that's – people will definitely describe you as a fun guy, obviously with the antics and the celebrations. And, I mean, you were beloved by South Carolina fans, again, not just for your play on the field, but your charismatic attitude. You know, again, the celebrations just kind of punctuated what you were all about. Just, just kind of talk about where you think that came from. I mean, was it just something natural where you just were a very – you know, high emotion guy. I know when you look back, you probably say you were a silly kid at times, but I mean, it's something again, that South Carolina fans to this day love watching those highlights, seeing you go crazy on the sidelines or on the field, stuff like that. Well, I mean, I, I just think that you work so hard, you know, every day that you, you only get, you know, 10 or 11 chances to, to go out there. And, and so when you get that opportunity, man, you, you better make it fun. And uh, we, we didn't win every game we played, but uh, I went out there every Saturday, and I I I enjoyed the game of college football. I enjoyed the crowds. I enjoyed going on the road, um, you know, playing at home, coming out the tunnels, you know, having the fans holler at you, the interactions with the other guys. So I, I made, you know, I I was going to have fun, and and uh, you know that's I, I think the the work you put in for football is 
you know, you can't go out in the yard and, um, you know, play the game. Where basketball, you can go to the court pretty any, any much any time and get a pickup game and play. But you only get so many chances, you know, to go out there on Saturdays and, and uh, play with your teammates and, and play in the stadiums we played in. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I played with a lot of emotion, and, and uh, but I was having fun. I, uh, <laughs> I felt like we put in a lot of work those 11 days and and uh you know I, I wanted to enjoy those those 11 Saturdays no doubt and I want to mention that junior season obviously you had a great year um through for 22 2,259 yards 63 percent completion percentage 19 touchdowns eight interceptions switching gears a little bit Steve what inspired the mullet I know that's we put up the picture <laughs> hyping up the show with you looking at the hat which I think is a hysterical photo but uh Obviously, you, I mean, it's one of the other things you're known for, obviously, the mullet, you know, all, right. what, what, uh, what inspired that? I, I just, when I was in high school, I just started letting it go. And, and when someone told me, you know, you ought to cut it, that turned me into going the opposite way. Um, and my dad was the first one, you know, you need to get a haircut. Nah, you know, just that rebellious and it, and it just lasted and, and until Coach Scott got there. And once Coach Scott got there, it was gone. But um, it, it was, it was really just, being defiant teenager as it started and then you know I it's just it just grew to that and and then obviously after my freshman year it, you know it you know it, it really took off and um it is funny to look back especially now you you, you know you catch a lot of heat for for that <laughs> I catch it catch it a lot from um a lot of people that you know meet me for the first time or or man that this was you <laughs> and uh, now I don't have all that much there so um, it it kind of came back, came back on me, but uh, you know, it's just one of those things. Like I said, this defiant teenager, and people tell me I should get it cut, and I just went the opposite and said, "Nah, just let it grow," you know, forever, really. <laughs> no doubt. So the '95 season, Steve, for you, uh, fantastic season for you. You went 261 for 389, 67% completion percentage. You threw for over 3,000 yards. You threw 29 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Um, but like you said, 95 did not go the way you guys wanted. Four, six, and one overall record, two, five, and one in the SEC. I mean, you guys scored in your wins 68 points, 77 points, 65 points, and 52 points. So there was not a lack of offense when it came to you guys. I mean, how frustrating was it for you, you know, being the South Carolina signal caller? And I mean, you're doing everything you can out there every single week and just, you know, you just knowing you don't have the, the, the guys on the other side of the ball to really – you know, help you out and secure games? Well, I mean, you just got to get it in your head. You got to score every possession, you know, and, and uh, that was our, that was our goal. And, and we, we got on the field. You, you kind of know during the week because um, you do watch film and you, you do peek in and watch some of their film and, and uh, you kind of have an idea of what you got to do going into those games. And, and uh, you know, we had to score a lot of points and we had the offense to do it. And again, like I said, we were, you know, beside Coach Spurrier's Florida team and, and, and obviously Florida State back in those days, we were one of the few teams doing, you know, shotgun every play. And we had three different speeds we went. And, you know, we rarely huddled. And, um, you know, it, it was um, and it was fun to be on that offense. And uh, it wasn't frustrating. It, it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was frustrating. You know, we, you win the bowl game and you think, hey, man, we're going to go to another bowl game the next year. And, and it doesn't happen. But uh, – you know, as an offensive unit, we 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 set a lot of records, and, and uh, you know, we we scored a lot of points some some Saturdays, and sometimes we won, and sometimes we didn't. But uh, you know, as an offensive unit, it, it was it was pretty fun. 
No doubt. So, like I mentioned, your senior year was by far your best year statistically. And I asked you the question kind of how you would grade yourself your first year when you came to South Carolina. You know, how, where do you feel like you grew most as a quarterback specifically from your freshman year to your senior year to have the success you did? Well, by my senior year, I was, I was in the meetings when the coaches were putting together the game plan. Um, and that's, that's what happens when you have a four-year starter. You know, the game, when you hear people say the game slows down, um, and that, that's exactly what happened. Um, I've had a lot of people say, you remember how loud it was in this stadium? Nah, uh, you, you don't. You don't. It's almost like as soon as you step on that field, especially the longer you play, it, it's just quiet. You don't, you don't hear anything. And uh, that, that comes from knowing the game of football inside and out and, uh, you know, having your coaches prepare you. And, again, by my senior year, I, I was in the game planning, you know, on Mondays. Um, with the coaches, um, you know, I was I was in the I was in the meeting room. I knew what the game plan was going to be. Um, it made practice a lot easier. I, I was ahead of the game, you know, watching film with the coaches. I, it it was by far my best year. But again, it's it's really supposed to be. You know, I played a lot of football, and you know, we started 40 games in a row. You you get to those last 10, 11 games. You know, you've seen about everything they can do. And, and, and that's why you see the quarterbacks nowadays, especially in the pros, these guys are, you know, Tom Brady's in his 40s and how good he is. And he's seen everything that you can throw at him. Same with Drew, Drew Brees and, and these guys. There's nothing you can do over there that they haven't seen. And, and um, you know, you put good people around them and, and good things are going to happen And because the game, just what they say, it slows down. And, and that's what really happens. No doubt. So your South Carolina career, obviously 95, Steve, comes to an end, but you leave South Carolina again. I mentioned, you know, at the start of the show, second all-time in passing yards, number one all-time in passing touchdowns, which I know could possibly be taken over. I want to get to in just a second. But, uh, you know, you leave South Carolina with a a fantastic career. I mean, what did it mean to you looking back? I'm sure those numbers mean even more now to you now that you look back on uh, on your South Carolina career. Oh, yeah, because it's really about 14 records that I have. Um, you know, you um, you have a couple biggies in there, but there's about 14 in there that that, that I have. And, and uh, you know, it, it makes it worthwhile. And, that, and and I've never left the state, you know, and, and, and that's a, you know, I coached here for 16 years and, and uh, in the state of South Carolina. And, and uh, yeah, it does it does mean a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I again, I wish we had some better outcomes as the seasons went only going to one bowl game in four years but I, I wouldn't trade anything um that happened during my career I it, it was it was everything I thought I thought we would win some more games but uh personally I you know I played pretty well and and uh you know had, had a had a fairly decent career we should say <laughs> no for sure one you obviously mentioned you have a ton of records there's just one that popped up that I want to mention just speaking how good that 95 offense was uh, you have the most yards in a single game at South Carolina, passing and rushing combined. You have 512 yards against Mississippi State. So an insane, insane number. Jake Bentley was close last year against Clemson with 490, but 512 is a, is a pretty crazy number. Yeah, that Mississippi State game, man, that, that, was, that, you know, that was unreal. It, it was 7-7-7-7, 14-7, 14-14, 21-14, 21-21. Twenty-eight, twenty-one, and we finally got a little break. But um, that that game was, um, you know, obviously the statistically the best game I played, and and uh, broke the NCAA record that day, and uh, would later get break. It actually got break that year. Um, sure. But uh, you know, just a, just an unbelievable day. I mean, that was 
I, I wore a long sleeve shirt that day and, and, uh, you know, I was very superstitious and I ended up wearing it every game. Um, even though it wasn't cold and, uh, um, I tried everything just to get back, you know, to, to play as well as I did that day. But, um, that, that had a lot of things to do with a lot of people playing well that day. Um, not just me, uh, the offensive line played great. Stanley had a big game and Zola Davis and then, um, you know, just Deuce Staley had a big game that day. We, we just had, you know, we had a lot of success that day. No doubt. So forgive me for not knowing this, Steve. I feel like I should. But after 95 ends, your South Carolina career is over. Uh, what were your plans as far as football? Because, again, a guy with as successful as career as you had, yeah. I'm sure the NFL had to be on your mind. Just kind of talk about your life after South Carolina in regards to the pro football. Yeah, only, you know, there was only like three quarterbacks that year, or three or four that got drafted. And I got signed as a free agent by Jacksonville and, and got cut and asked me, you know, in training camp, and then they sent me to NFL Europe for a season, and Jacksonville re-signed me, and then they drafted somebody, and and uh, I had the opportunity to continue to play. I played in the Arena League, and uh, I just I got a call one day to come uh, to Greenwood and coach a private school, and and uh, you know I said yeah, I, I guess I'd rather coach than continue to play, and and the pro game you know just wasn't the same, the same atmosphere, it wasn't you know you have teammates with families and it's just different and uh you know I wish I would have you know maybe got a shot to play some games in the NFL but uh you know hey uh got into coaching and and uh you know um, that was a pretty good ride uh as well yeah I was gonna say you had a really really good coaching career so yeah I know definitely I'm sure South Carolina fans are familiar um you got into coaching at Chesterfield High School led those guys to a couple different state title appearances won the state title I believe in 2007 I believe was the year and 2008 and 2009 um yeah you guys did really well you coached uh Cambridge Academy coached eight-man team football just just kind of talk about your stops as far as uh as far as your coaching career is concerned well, I, you know, I had a really good team. We won two state championships at Cambridge, and, and uh, you know, I had to uh, coach the late games Adams, and, and uh, you know, he went on to some unbelievable success at Clemson and was the fourth pick in the draft and um, <clears throat> bounced around and went to West Ashley for a season, had some really good players there, and, and uh, I was the offense coordinator. Then I got to Chesterfield, and, and uh, along with the other coaches and the kids, we built that into a true powerhouse. I mean, um, you know, we won it three years in a row. We really, sh really should have won it four. We lost 21-20 in 2006. Um, and we, I think we won like 20, starting in 2007, like 25 straight home games. Um, you know, we beat Pageland uh, in 2006, and they had never, Chesterfield had never beat Pageland, like 36 years. So uh, that was a, that was a great, that was a great seven years there. And, and then I went to Union and um, Coach Keaston Smith, my first year, and he was the state player of the year, and and uh, you know, heck of a quarterback. And and my last year there, I had Shy Smith, who's now you know a Gamecock, and um, you know, awful good football player for University of South Carolina. So it, it was a good run. Um, you know, kind of glad I'm not in it. it, it the, the the game of football, not so much the game of football, but just you know how 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 coaches are allowed to coach and the time and. It's just not the same, and um, you know I don't miss it. Um, I'm really just a football fan now. I get to uh, you know go to the Carolina games every week, and and uh, just really be a true fan of the game. No doubt. Well, you definitely answered my question as far as if coaching was in your future. That's a resounding no, without a doubt. <laughs> um, but you've obviously went on to different ventures. Obviously, in 2016, you purchased uh, 
the Five Points Bar Group Therapy, renamed it Steve Tannehill's Group Therapy, which is an awesome bar, uh, one of my personal favorites. Uh, just kind of talk about how that came about, you know, what made you want to do that, and obviously how business is going. Yeah, business is good. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a different time in Five Points right now, uh, that's for sure. Um, a lot of things, uh, you know, a lot of things going on, and, and um, but I always wanted to one day have have a bar, and I, I really thought that I'd move back home uh, to Pennsylvania at some point and 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 do that, and then it just worked that uh, we started looking at it, and uh, you know we bought it on June 30th, 2016, and uh, you know hopefully we'll um, be able to keep it for a long time. It's a, it's an iconic place. Uh, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish is named their um, tour after the bar, the group therapy tour, and and uh, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of good things and, and, uh, you know, really glad to be back in, in Columbia. You know, I, like I said, I, I get to go to all the Carolina games, uh, got some season tickets and, and tailgating and being a football fan. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a good time. I, I really, to be honest, I just rather, I, I just want to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and being, being a, being an owner of your own company, you have that opportunity to do some hunting. So, um, you know, it's just, uh. You know, maybe we've looked into some, you know, maybe maybe getting another one up here in, in the upstate. And, uh, you know, if something comes around and comes open, we might do it. So, so I enjoy it. But I, I really enjoy the free time and, and uh, um, you know, everything that goes with that. No doubt. So, like you mentioned, you're obviously still around the program. You're, uh, it's funny, your mural is up in the indoor, the, the new uh, ops building, if you will. You're a guy that has season tickets, like you said. So, you're – definitely in touch with the program what's going on I want to get your opinion on just kind of the state of South Carolina football right now obviously what, what Will Muschamp is building I think he's doing a great job recruiting and bringing in the type of guys he needs uh, to be successful get South Carolina back where they were from you know 2011 to 2013 but just kind of from your viewpoint talk about what you see in Will Muschamp and this Gamecocks football program right now. Uh, well Coach Muschamp played at Georgia you know I, I guess we played against each, each other twice and and uh you know, he when I was coaching, he was coaching not on the East Coast. You know, he was at Texas. He was in the NFL for a while. And so we never came – our paths never crossed. So I didn't know him that well when he got the job here. Um, <laughs> we've come to, to, to know each other pretty well now, especially when you have – you know, I had Shy Smith and, and Coach Spurrier was – you know, had, had came to Union twice. And, and uh, when Muschamp got the job on, like, Friday, Monday, he was – <laughs> he was in my office in Union recruiting shy. So I have a lot of respect for Coach because he does <laughs> pound the pavement recruiting. Um, I, last year, you know, we had a lot of injuries on defense and we're not that deep. And and this year that schedule is brutal. But uh, I think he's recruiting the right kids. Uh, that new facility is going to help get kids in. And uh, I think we're on the right track. And, and <laughs> I think this year is going to be tough. Um, we're going to have, <laughs> excuse me, we're going to have to win some games that probably not supposed to. Um, um, but I really look forward to, to next season, 2020. I think it's the opportunity for us to really have a great year with what he's building in, in recruiting. Without a doubt. So obviously his starting quarterback, the Gamecock starting quarterback, Jake Bentley, I talked about your records before, obviously the, uh, the passing yards record and the passing touchdowns record that, you know, could realistically be broken. I think he only needs eight touchdown passes to break your record of 61. And I think he needs just under 3000 yards, very doable numbers, but kind of just talk about, uh, are you, are you pulling for Jake Bentley to break the records? Do you selfishly want to keep the records? I mean, what does that feel like? I mean, as a guy that holds those records and they're potentially going to be broken. 
Well, they've lasted a long time. Um, you know, who, who would have thought that as much success as Coach Spurrier had here with his teams that, that those records, some of them still stand. But I, I think Jake's going to get them all. Um, I, I really think they're going to be pretty good on offense. And I think Jake's going to get all of our records. So, um, you know, he's a, I've known him a long time, you know, coached against his daddy. Um, and uh, I've been a friend of Bobby Bentley for a long time. So I, I know Jake and uh, I want the team to have success. If, if some of the records get broke in the process, then, then that's what happens. Um, but I'd much rather the team have some success. Um, you know, if the records go down, they last for a long time, like I said. No doubt. So, Steve, I'm going to get you out of here before I let you go, though. Obviously, you, you had such an illustrious career in South Carolina, so many great memories in Garnet and Black. But if you had to if you had to pick one memory, you would say, that really stands out to you as your favorite, do you, do you have one that uh, you, you can narrow it down to? Well, it would have to be the bowl game. Um, you know, like I said, I was MVP, first one ever um, for, for the University of South Carolina. So, that – I just think that that in general is, is it has to be. Um, there were a lot of great days. The Mississippi State game was um, in 95. Obviously, I, you know, one of the greatest days a quarterback could have and, and, uh, and obviously the first start. But there were a lot of, a lot of great games, a lot of great memories. But uh, I'd say the Carquest Bowl probably ranks up there pretty high. <clears throat> and, and the week before that, it's really a good week because we had to beat Clemson to get to that bowl game. So those two go hand in hand, really. All right, so kind of off the wall question, your favorite celebration uh, of all the, what was kind of like your go-to celebration to do? Was it the home run swing? Was it the, the Yeah. Did you yeah have one that, that, uh, that, that's where it all started. Um, <laughs> the home run swing is kind of where it started and and uh you know, that's what a lot of people remember and and again, when it started, I I really was just a youngster out there having a good time and and uh you know, they changed the rule on us. That the celebrations that we did and I did changed the rule in college football and, and you couldn't do those anymore so um, it had an impression on somebody in the league office that uh you know it, it ended pretty much after 90 after the 93 season yeah i was gonna say how tough would it be for you steve Tannehill, today to uh, i mean you have to keep your helmet on can't do the celebrations I, i'd imagine it would have uh would have kind of put a damper on, on on your uh i guess on on your spirit a little bit or at least just having to wait till you get to the sidelines to do everything yeah um um, and when Coach Scott got there, you know, one of the first things he said was, hey, you're, you're wasting too much energy, you know, doing all that. Come to the sideline and sit down. And uh, so it, 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 it's definitely different now. And, and what's fun is you can watch Sundays. NFL has gotten back to those guys having some fun. And, and uh, I like to see people enjoying the game of football. And like I said, you put a lot of work in each week. Um, No doubt. Well, Steve, really do appreciate you taking taking the time. Again, it's uh, it's awesome to talk to a legend like yourself. Obviously, so many great memories, and uh, would love to do it again sometime. All right, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, thank you so much. So for Steve Tannehill, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. <laughs>